okay. Hello, Adorian Deck. Hi. <laughs> I would say, like, besides maybe the interview with Joe, um, your this one is is like uh, an interview with someone who who we know each other pretty well. So yeah, I'd say so. I didn't. I usually like research and like take a bunch of notes to kind of prep myself. But we were a part of each other's story in so many ways that I don't think I need notes. I think it's just going to be talking to a friend for sure. So tell people, tell people who, tell people who you are. Your journey has been all over the place. So mm -hmm. tell people like your name, where you're from. And, and what you're getting into right now. For sure. So my name is Adorian Deck. I think from Chris's perspective, uh, I'm his future husband that he's in the long <laughs> game for, waiting for me to break up That's with my fiance. That's right. I'm going to get you at the bachelor party or I'm going to stand <laughs> up at the wedding. I will already be standing up. I will stand on a stool as a groomsman yep. and interrupt. <laughs> I know that Alexa is going to be looking at me too. She's going to be like, what does he say? No? You good? Yep. Just watching you closely <laughs> uh no yeah so yeah i'm a dorian what was your question where am i where who am i where am i from yeah where are you from like what do you do so i am a content creator you know you and i chris have known each other since i can't even remember what year anymore but we've both been in the youtube space since before it was really a thing mm -hmm. um i was born and raised in california I was born in Palm Springs and then moved all over the place, lived in the mountains. When I was 18 years old, I moved to Los Angeles, had a good time there. Just recently in the last year or two, moved to Florida. Condolences. To... <laughs> I'm having a great time here. Chris definitely would not survive. Yep. So you're in Jacksonville. You're in Jacksonville now. Are you, yep. are you cool? Are you okay with all the, the Hurricane Ian stuff? I was worried about you for a sec. Yeah, we're good. It definitely, you know, I'm going on my runs and I go run by the docks by the river that we live near and it's it's like flooded. The docks are flooded. But, you know, when it came to just the damage in our yard, we just we had to pick up sticks yesterday and that was the most annoying part of it. What? You had to pick up sticks? I know we had to do yard what, work. What crazy. a struggle for you. Yeah, no, we you know, we had some wind, but it wasn't bad and it's it's yeah it's completely night and day with what was on the news in fort myers which is crazy yeah because they had they got direct impact right yeah and i don't think they were even prepared or realizing that it was going to hit them i think it was supposed to hit tampa so yeah it's it's crazy and yeah i mean i know people who are in arcadia and just like the whole city there's flooded it's yeah, yeah it's, it's wild so but we knew it wasn't going to be super bad jacksonville's in kind of a good spot where apparently hurricanes never happen i'm going to knock on wood but yeah it's probably because you're further like you're further up the peninsula so like maybe it's less likely to turn that direction yeah and we're a little like curved in as well so it's not yeah it's good we're good here so we're gonna get into some personal stories okay if you feel at any point it's too personal let me know but you know i don't i'm not one for light conversation very often yeah i know you well <laughs> yeah <laughs> i knew this was coming yeah 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 so let's let's rewind because like you have become a success in the creator space for so long but the purpose of this is more so to learn about you as a person and connect it to how you found your success in the creator space Talk about when you first started to, hmm, I'm trying to think of how to, 
talk about uh, talk about your <laughs> sounds like a therapy session talk about <laughs> your childhood um what was it like for you growing up because i know that you had you had a lot happen at a very young age for you yeah so i was i mean i was generally a pretty shy kid really nice just you know doesn't break the rules kind of kid and i found youtube when i was 13 and that was coming from me kind of being an outcast my family life at home it wasn't horrible but it wasn't perfect there was a lot of ups and downs which we'll get into but it kind of led me into youtube where i found it on accident because similar to your story where you thought youtube was more of like a storage platform mm -hmm. it was the same for me which it basically was in 2006 but it was, yeah, it was mostly just a place where I was uploading. And then I found other creators and I was like, this is interesting. And I started copying them like Smosh. I wanted to be Smosh when I was 13, like every other kid at that time, if they knew who Smosh was. Mm -hmm. um, and then going from there, I just started making friends on the internet as well. Like other people were there, like other teenagers which looking back, you probably shouldn't be that young meeting other teenagers on the internet. But hey, you know, it was the wild, wild west, right? <laughs> we were, everyone was uh, doing their best at that point in time. Exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah. So my, yeah, my family wasn't super present all the time because of going through the ups and downs. But I really found myself through YouTube in a community that I could really connect with where maybe in my high school, I wasn't so much or middle school even wasn't so much like I had friends, but not a lot. And I just I wasn't really interested. And I felt like YouTube at that time was if you were on there, you were kind of weird or an outcast in some form. Yeah, it used <laughs> to connected. be like I'm so we're both doing Toastmasters pretty much. I give my um, icebreaker speech. I'm a little behind you mm. on Monday till tomorrow as of the recording awesome. of this. And one of the lines, because I, you know, the icebreaker is about who you are. I talk about what YouTube was back then. And I say it, it was just a delightful group of weirdos entertaining yep. themselves and maybe a few other people. It wasn't like the cool kid club like it is now. For sure. It was, yeah, it was very different. There was not a lot of people. So you no. did have to kind of be, be an outcast. And so it just, it was fun for me. And I was making videos and I was experimenting. And then that's where I got into all my other career things where I created a viral Twitter account just because I was having fun with it. And uh, yeah, and then everything pretty much took off from there. That's the sum of my childhood. Mm -hmm. Very tip of the iceberg, I feel. So a few times, a, a few times in this converse, uh, conversation already, you talk about ups and downs. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? When you were a so, child, you had ups and downs. I moved around a lot and it wasn't because my family was in the Navy or anything like that. I think it was just because of the circumstance of who my parents were. Mm -hmm. They're very shifty in the sense of, oh, it's too hot here. Let's move here. Oh, it's this. Let's move here. Oh, this happened. Let's move here. Um, there wasn't a ton of stability. I also dealt with, you know, my dad was an alcoholic. So whenever he wasn't drinking things, that's where I usually think about my childhood being really positive and a lot of great things happened. And then when he was drinking, that's where things kind of got crazy and out of control. So what was my understanding, though, is it wasn't always unstable. It seems from what you've described, it like eventually became that. But maybe you lived initially like decently stable or no? Yeah. So when I was, I would say from three to nine years old was a period of time where I lived in the mountains in Northern California. It was a very small town of about 4,000 people. 
uh, my dad was not drinking. There was, you know, he was running his own real estate business up in the mountains doing very well. Uh, my mom was at home with us a lot and life was very stable. I think my parents were very focused and present with me and my brother, uh, who's a year younger than me at the time. So that would be the stability side of it. And then, you know, when, when you're, when you're an alcoholic and things, things just don't make sense Mm -hmm. and you start making decisions that don't make sense. So that's where like moving comes in or like just not going to do certain things or for your children in that way, you're just not capable. Do you feel like, do you feel like uh, eventually with that, that YouTube became an attempt at some sort of like stable relationships with the outside world? Do you think maybe that was an adaptation? Man, I think that's such a great question because I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. I think I had moved around a lot. So I started YouTube in the seventh grade and I'd probably been a new kid in the middle of the year, at least three or four times. Mm -hmm. And I remember when we moved again after I started YouTube and I was like, wow, I can keep my friends from YouTube, even though I have moved places. And that was the beginning of kind of finding some stable family community in my life, for sure, at a young age. What's funny is me asking you that question made me recognize that it was the same thing for me. I started on the internet socializing when I was 10. So I think it was the year you were, what year were you born? (laughs) I was born in 1993. So it was before you were born in 1992, because I'm 40. um, I was on AOL 1.0 with a uh, dial-up 1600K internet connection. I'm making myself feel old. But I do remember immediately gravitating towards the social aspects of the internet, getting into those AOL forums and talking to like-minded people and chatting up older women. I was 10 talking to someone who was 14. I remember that. There was actually one story where my dad got a, a message from a really frantic parent because I was using my dad's profile to socialize. So they thought that their 14 year old daughter was talking to some mid thirties, programmer uh, uh electrical engineer type person God. so you had to be careful yeah, that's scary. i remember sending pictures like i wanted to exchange pictures with her so i sent actual physical photos through the mail and that was how because wow. you couldn't you couldn't send pictures back then that was that wasn't an option it was just age sex location not slash pick as well you know <laughs> If you have any Gen Z audience, you're going to confuse the crap. Out oh, of yeah. Look, I don't think <laughs> I don't think I do. I don't I, I, I don't think I appeal to that crowd. I never did. I mean, you watched my whole yeah. journey. I never appealed to the bulk of people who were on YouTube. It just didn't right. it just didn't match me. But you were in that perfect age. Um, come, I come still didn't there. relate to the that age group. Like, that's why I fit so well <laughs> with YouTubers <laughs> in that way. Because like, I see the cool kids now. And I'm like, man, if I started YouTube today, I would not have fit in at all. I would have gone a different way because it was we're, I was getting away from people. Yeah, the majority of people. Yeah. yeah. So you're, you're finding your like social footing through social media, but it's still kind of like chaotic at home. What were the ways that in in those moments that you would find normalcy? I mean, I from what you just said, it feels like the reason that you identified with people who are older is because you had to grow up faster and you had to take care of yourself in so many ways. Does that feel accurate? And what are ways that you did that back then? 
I think that is accurate. And I just, I know when I look back at my old YouTube videos, I can tell at certain moments in time whether things were a little more okay or things were really unstable at home. And I, I think maybe I just look at that from the perspective of I knew what was going on in my head. But in terms of how I dealt with that, I think I did have to grow up fast. I started off growing up fast because it was more of an emotional support of adulthood where because my dad was drinking, you know, my mom was struggling with that and there was no, I guess, higher male figure that was there. Mm -hmm. And so the natural energy kind of just went to the oldest son, which was me to take that place. So it started emotionally. And then I remember I went on the internet, I was 15 and we were living in a house in California and we were about to get evicted. My dad was talking to me about how we were going to get evicted. And I went on my YouTube channel and I basically asked my viewers for donations to pay for our rent that month. And back then, asking for money was a no-no. People will roast you. Yeah. Did, did they? Oh, yeah. It was the first time I went viral and I was terrified because I was getting all these hate comments. But it was like each comment was like a paragraph or three paragraphs of people just telling me how terrible of a person I am. And I'm 15. Whoa. And I just thought I was doing the right thing. And, and what made it worse is it, uh, if you know, if anyone knows what project for awesome is, this is like a charity event that happens. It's been happening forever, but I think it was in its second or third year back then. And I uploaded the video the same day as project for awesome. So everyone's uploading videos to YouTube talking about charities. And I uploaded a video talking about charity to me, but mm -hmm. I didn't realize that was going to happen. It was just random timing. You didn't do it on so. purpose, you awful human being. <laughs> How dare you no. at 15 ask you to help people have people help you not get evicted. I know. And, and it's just it, what's crazy to me is like my dad was so not present in my life. Like if that was me as a dad, I would have been like, why would you? No, you're not doing that. I would be probably monitoring what I would be doing online more. Like it, she just wasn't there. And but I did get probably a few thousand dollars yeah and it did pay for a little bit and then we eventually did get evicted so it didn't really keep us sustainably because there was no sustainable model there yeah and i remember your your dad got kind of excited about this money that was coming in he did yeah and so there was a i don't know a couple thousand dollars sitting in the paypal account or whatever and I remember I got a notification. I was like, you can only deposit $100 or $500, whatever, a smaller amount every day. It was like the rent was due the next day. And I had to go to my dad and tell him like, hey, we can only you know, undo $100, $500 at a time. And I remember the look on his face still kind of haunts me where it's like, it wasn't a disappointment in me, but it was a general disappointment maybe in himself, in life. And I was just, I, I remember feeling like I have to like make this better. Like I have to figure this out. And all you had to do was verify like your social security number with PayPal. And then they let you withdraw all of it. But it, it like, this is just stuff that a 15 year old maybe shouldn't be dealing with. That's I'm a not lot of pressure, and, brother. That's so much pressure is. on you as a, a teenager. Yeah. And you know, I'm grateful for the life I've had because like people have it much worse than I do. But I do think it's it's something I'm not going to repeat with my children for mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. And so, were, how old were you? You talked a little bit because you were doing you were, you had a small audience on YouTube, but your your real success during that time frame was with Twitter. You were you were really good at creating success on Twitter. You started a Twitter 
uh, channel, what a Twitter account. Twitter account. I know <laughs> there's so many platforms now. It's so hard to keep up. <laughs> you subscribe, start, follow, <laughs> smash the like button. Which, by the way, uh, please, please like and review this podcast. I want it to grow. Actually, I have an right. idea that I want to talk about at the end. Let's let's stay focused. Let's Tw- Twitter, your Twitter account you started was called OMG Facts. Did you specifically start it solo or did you start it with more than one person? I started it completely solo and anonymously at first too, just yeah. in my bedroom. You know, my dad was drinking downstairs and I was in my bedroom just creating this basically. And it was it was massively successful back then, correct? Yeah, it started a, you know, it started off just with zero followers. I think I promoted it with my YouTube channel and I pretended it wasn't me. I was like, I found this cool Twitter account. I mm, <laughs> got like a thousand followers from that. But then from there, it went word of mouth and maybe 10,000 followers came in. And I remember, you know, I went to bed, maybe had 10, 12,000 followers. I wake up, go to school and, you know, my school didn't have service. You know, you weren't allowed to use your cell phones back then. I don't know what yeah. it's like today. I spoke but. to my friend's <laughs> media class and they were able to look me up on TikTok Wild in the there. middle of class. And I'm yeah. like, what? But well, I guess I had it's a flip just... phone at the time. And I, I, we won't talk about what Chris had when he was in high school. I had um, the smoke <laughs> signals. Uh, that's how I communicate. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyways, I couldn't check my phone through the day at school. But then I, you know, I get my text messages after. And I had a friend that texted me. He was like, dude, OMG Facts has 50,000 followers. And I was like, what? Like overnight. Uh, Kim Kardashian had retweeted four tweets. Whoa. Wait, why? Kim Kardashian just loves facts or something? She, Yeah, I'd have to go back and look, but you could probably pull it up or whatever. It just said something like, wow, I love this. Or, you know, she like it was retweets weren't even a thing back then. It was a quote retweet. You have to manually oh my, retweet I it. I forgot about that. She you had to co- copy four pasta. Four? And you four. didn't have like a brand deal with uh, Kim Kardashian back, no. back then? And this was and this was 2009. So it was in the moment where media outlets were just starting to say like Kim Kardashian is gets $15,000 per tweet. And so like I had these outlets that were like, OMG facts got free media, like, you know, from Kim Kardashian. And, and that took it off from there. It went super viral after that. Were you thinking about business when you made this account? Because you're a popular account now with TikTok, with the fact stuff, you obviously have an attraction to facts, but did you think of it as a business back then? I kind of did. It was, there was a desire to make money off something, but I really wasn't thinking of it as business. It was what really gets me excited and still gets me excited to this day is the idea of building some form of brand that has an identity or a specific idea that in my head, like when I looked at, you know, the Twitter world at that time, it was really just people tweeting like, oh, I'm drinking coffee right now. Like it was super basic. And I thought it'd be cool to just have some sort of very specific information that was very predictable for people to know, oh, I know what's going to come from this sort of brand to come through and building this identity. That That's what I was really thinking. I was like, what can I create that could be something that's not me, that doesn't have to have my face and is something that provides something to someone. But that's about the extent. I definitely was not some genius businessman at 16. I, there was definitely a sense of luck there and timing and what happened too after uh, Kim Kardashian made it go viral is hashtags were very popular. So hashtag OMG facts was on the top trending topics nonstop without getting removed for multiple months at a time. 
because people started using hashtag OMG facts to tweet their own facts about themselves. Mm. It became something bigger than just the Twitter account. It's which like, made the Twitter account bigger. It's the same. Te- like, I know that I, I it's a very easy technique to go viral, especially on TikTok. Give people an opportunity to talk about themselves and they will. <laughs> they will utilize whatever you make so that they can talk about themselves. For you sure. Know? So that yeah. but, power but, to them. I know eventually, though, with when it comes to the OMG Facts Twitter, other people got involved. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So one day I got an email from a person that I was somewhat familiar with already because I had had friends of mine who were very big fans of him. Um, he was very big in just the Harry Potter world. He ran a very big fan site and was just in general a very successful guy. What was the name of the site? MuggleNet. MuggleNet? Is that still yeah, a thing? It is. He's long gone from it, I think, but I, I do think the site still exists. So he approached me and basically said, hey, we can create this website and do all of these things for the brand of OMG Facts and make it bigger than ever. He was kind of talking to me a lot about like what could potentially be there. And you're how uh, old and at this point? I think I was still 16, maybe 17. Okay. I think I was 16. And I'm just like, heck yeah, this is awesome. This is like a really well-known guy. I definitely want him involved. He's excited about it. And, you know, so I brought him in and it was, you know, the company he was running that came in and was helping with everything. And uh, things for OMG Facts went very well. Things, the, the account continued to keep growing. They started posting links to the website, which was starting to generate revenue. And just in general, they started making YouTube videos. They were bringing on like Smosh, and Ray William Johnson and these people that I had been watching as a young teenager. And I was just like, oh my gosh, they're on my brand. This is so cool. How did they have access to those people? It's a good question. I don't know if they knew them beforehand or if it was more of like a, hey, we have this channel and this Twitter account and reaching out themselves. They were doing a lot and there was a lot of really cool things happening. Um, But then it really was kind of like a takeover where I was very quickly becoming no part of anything with OMG Facts. And it that's what turned it into a little bit of a messy situation that eventually, uh, as I was getting older, I I think, you know, a year or two went by. It was I was still 17 and I ended up suing that party in order to be able to try and take back ownership because they, you know, they were generating this revenue on the website and I had no part of it. They gave me a hundred percent of t-shirt sales, which we sold like three. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) It was, yeah, it was just like a, you know, looking back on it, I mean, they had me sign an independent contractor agreement for my own brand, which is weird. Yeah. What do you feel like now that I'm older and understand contracts? Like, (laughs) yeah. Describe why that's wrong. Well, because it should have been the intellectual property of OMG facts would be mine because I created it. And what they attempted to do is basically say, hey, because we're making the website, we're going to have you sign an agreement that's, I don't even really know how to define, you know, they basically were giving, I should have been the one giving them an agreement, ultimately. It's your brand. Right. They're creating off. So do you think, because you, you, it's pretty young. Do you think, do you think the purpose was to take advantage? I don't know. And honestly, I don't really care at this point. Like it's possible. 
I know there was an aspect of them where he, he was still young too. I mean, he was probably 22 or 23 years old and he was doing very well. And just, I just, I've talked to so many different people in business now. It's been 10 plus years. And I think there is an aspect of just, you live and you learn, you're trying to do things in one way. But yeah, I mean, when things I was expressing like, hey, why am I not involved in any of this? And his argument was, well, we're doing everything. And I'm like, okay, but that's because you're taking it over. It was just kind of, that's where I had to come in and do something about it because there was some weird resistance there. So So, how did the lawsuit go? How did it turn out for you? So six months later, we settled and I sold OMG Facts to them. Mm. And what was the settlement? I don't want to say the exact number uh-huh. because I am writing a book and probably will release it in that. I'm not sure exactly what I'll do, but it was so it was a it was a deal where I had a lump sum and then they paid me over time. I was 18 years old when this happened and it was definitely a great move to do. I think it definitely supplied me the ability to grow up some more mm-hmm. and learn from different mistakes. I think if I were to take on the brand, it, you know, I think I probably could have surrounded myself with the right people, but when I look back at it and the value of what it could have been to what it did end up being, like I think I made the right choice. And I think it was a win-win, honestly. I think it it was just they were not providing any value to the fact that I created this and then were trying to take over it so they were claiming value. And I think it worked out to where I ended up getting my value out of it and what I brought. Mm-hmm. So now you are 18, you have, you're getting a, like a decent chunk of money every single month. I remember some of the numbers and being like, wow, that's more than I make, which back then also wasn't much of a challenge as we will discover <laughs> as we move forward in this discussion. But I think this is around the time where you and I entered each other's lives was around 18, right? Around the time of the settlement then. Yep. Yeah. Yes. And, Yeah, I think we filmed a music video of yours and I was probably getting the settlement right around that time. Yeah. And I need (laughs) I needed someone to get bullied in the in the video. It was a video about bullying. And then you show up and you're like over (laughs) six feet tall. Like, yeah, you're nerdy looking. Yes. But like, I don't think anyone's bullying you at that point in your life or maybe even previously. Something about height just makes people not mess with people for the most part. Or did yeah. you have a lot of bullying? I definitely got bullied quite a bit when I was younger. And it related to, funny enough, with height, uh, basketball. You know, I was on basketball teams. I stopped before high school because I was getting bullied too much. I would get bullied in hallways, you know. Yeah. I had plenty of it. Yeah, I love playing basketball with you because my uh, I'm very good at my role in basketball, which is to just brutalize people i don't make people mad (laughs) i don't know what position i can't shoot i can barely dribble but man i can get in your way and make your life hell so hey man some of the most well-known players in basketball were just the most amazing defenders yes that could be a whole skill okay you need to do what i see your mic is like muffling again what's going on with your mic bro i don't know is it still muffling right now? now it's good Okay. I'll just not touch my table at all. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you're in that music video. We meet, we don't really immediately become friends. I don't remember how you and I became consistent with each other. We did a few different videos together. You know, I did a video with you about like the perks of living in Los Angeles or something really basic. Like yeah. That. 
Um, I can't remember. I think, you know, you were living with some roommates that I had been friends with before. Yeah. And I think that's probably where we connected a little more. Yeah, because during that time, I was kind of coming to the end of my journey with my Sup Ricky channel, which was all music. I just wasn't making any money. I was about to enter my... Is that the first time I was homeless? I don't fully remember. Um, but I just knew I couldn't afford to live in that place anymore. And I knew I really believed in my ability to create the Sup Daily stuff. So I, I just like left that apartment, moved in with someone for two weeks, and then you offered me a place to stay. And that was, <laughs> we've been roommates three times <laughs> in three in three different places. But you had, wanna, yeah. I was like trying to think if it was four, but I guess it was three. North Hollywood, Culver City, and North Hollywood again. Two different. Yeah. Okay. Was there another one? No, I guess that was it. It yeah. just feels like we've spent a lifetime together. That's yes, right. I know. It, time, <laughs> time flies. Um, <laughs> so we we start living together, and the plan was just for like two weeks. Uh, what was going through your mind at that time? I'm like 10 years older than you. I'm failing, and now I'm going to move in and sleep on your futon for two weeks. Like, What was your thought process in, in allowing me in like that? To be completely honest, it was normalized for me because... I just think about where I was, where I just talked about my childhood and how I used YouTube as a community family building aspect. There's a lot of weirdos on YouTube that I met that I just very much connected with and was friends with. So whenever someone was in a situation that maybe wasn't the best for them or this, like I didn't look at that in any sort of negative way. And I just saw that as an opportunity to connect with people more. I think I was really looking for that. And I just, you know, we haven't talked about it much, but my dad had passed away when I was 17. And so coming into being, I think 19 years old and you start living with me, I think I was just like looking for, you were like a bigger brother aspect mm -hmm. in my life that I was like, yeah, I have this one bedroom. I have a futon in the living room. Like I was in a place where I just, I constantly had people over and I was just around people all the time. I didn't have a job other than making videos because of my settlement. So I just was like looking for more experiences. And I was like, yeah, come stay for a couple of weeks. Like you're not moving in with me permanently. Like sounds fun. Mm -hmm. That really was the attitude. It's like college. I was in college. Yeah. That's not in college. Yeah, you're so young at that point in yeah. time. So there's just kind of a naivety. That's not the word that exists, but I was naive to life a little bit too. Naivete. 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 I don't know. Maybe. Who yeah, knows? I didn't go to college. Whatever. <laughs> I went for six months. I, I quit college, so it's fine. To join a boy band, because that's a normal thing. Went to college, so I got a settlement. <laughs> <laughs> it worked out in the end. So yeah. yeah, so I was supposed to stay for two weeks. And I don't know why my brain just decided to take over your entire way of being. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've told you this, and I'll tell you, like, I, I looked at the age you were, which is like 18, 19 years old. And I knew that your, your father had passed away. And I knew the type of guidance that someone at that age could utilize that could help them move into like a positive direction. And I, I don't know, like I, I'm, I'm realizing in hindsight, I really just came in and took over as a leader in your place. Mm -hmm. But I never asked you how you felt about that. I think it was perfect for me at the time. Like I probably would have found it somewhere else if it wasn't new, to be honest, 
Like, and I'm not downplaying you at all. Like, I think you were a massive, massive part of my very important part of my life where I was shifting into who I am today. Mm -hmm. But I think I was looking, I think part of that is just, I was looking for that. I think naturally, if you have someone pass away and you're missing something, like some people, everyone has a different way of reacting emotionally and how they handle grief. But my reaction was like, I'm going to basically replace it in some form. Mm-hmm. And we naturally gravitated like you started just naturally. I think you saw how free flowing I was and how I could be influenced by anybody around me that yes. maybe wasn't so positive for me that. And I was once you started being a very tough, positive influence on me. I'm very accepting. of. I it. was a tough, positive influence. Well, we were training very tough. Regimented. We'll say regiment. Yeah. Regimented. Yeah. Like, I, I think it's what I needed. Like, I was very open to anything and everything. And so I think it was awesome that we connected in that way just for me, because I could have easily just have gone a different path where I wasn't regimented. Yeah. You know? I mean, you were getting up late, going yeah. to bed late, drinking a lot and not really exercising. And so I just kind of implemented my schedule on you. And let me tell you, for the first like, because two weeks turned into a month and a half because we just we just really like trained well together. I still needed somewhere to live and we were having success training with each other. Talk about the, <laughs> me getting you up early in the morning and like what that was like for you because you were not a morning person when I moved in. Vine was such a beautiful platform that you just happened to use to wake me up with Justin Timberlake songs every morning. Yes. I do remember that. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely remember when we first started waking up, you were waking me up at 630 so we can get out and work out at seven. And it was definitely a struggle because I was drinking. I just started drinking maybe two or three months before you had stayed with me. Illegally. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Don't arrest me. Uh, college. Um, but yeah, I, uh, and so I definitely was on a schedule again, no job. So I was just kind of like hanging out with friends all the time. Like I was completely not structured in any way, which is not good for someone at 19 who mm-hmm. has a bright future ahead, but maybe not for long. So it was definitely a struggle for you waking me up and you, I did not like it, but then I eventually started liking it. So I know. And like, we, that's still to this day, probably the best shape I've ever been in as a as an adult like i had to set an example for you and i also wasn't taking the best care of myself so man yeah. well, you we had a lot of stress you know we, yeah well There's yeah not having too. somewhere to live like yeah. like, like my, of my own um those same ch- ch- was it chicken um cooked spinach it was like yeah chopped chicken bits with like lemon pepper seasoning salt and pepper and then barbecue arugula, sauce sometimes maybe arugula barbecue sauce it was spinach it was uh, spinach i think to this oh day gosh. i've never bought arugula um really arugula <laughs> no. is awesome yeah so, so it was spinach then uh, and so that was six days a week for every meal and then sunday nights we would have papa john's pizza oh my god that pizza by the time we got to that point it was just oh <laughs> It was like the best pizza on the planet to me because we had like <laughs> ate the same boring stuff, but it worked. I mean, how yeah, much weight did I, you lose during that time? I think it was 25 pounds in a month-ish, which that's already a lot. But yeah, for where I was in my life, the cha- the change in my body shape was crazy. And I've never been more impressed with, and I think in the same way, maybe not the best shape I've ever been in my life, but like how fast we did it. Mm-hmm. And 
I think it comes down to a very unsustainable diet that we just, the diet and the waking up every day, we'd go to the gym and we'd run and we'd do all this. Like I've never been so hardcore in my life other than that moment. For sure. I, I haven't been since it was, <laughs> it wasn't fun for me either, but I always wanted to make sure when I was staying with someone, cause that homeless bit lasted like seven or eight months for me. Um, I always wanted to make sure I was providing something to the people who were allowing me to stay there because I couldn't do it financially. So it was structured. I remember teaching you how to drive a manual transmission car. Have you done that since? I kind of forgot, to be honest. Like I tried maybe a year ago and it was not pretty. We get done living together and your your friend group wasn't quite a fan of <laughs> of our time together. Yeah, I think because, yeah, I think we were like all in college in our mindsets, like my group that I was with. And uh, you kind of took me away from that. And I think it was weird, too, because like, I mean, I think we went and got our haircut together. and My haircut kind of looks the same as yours at the time. And yeah. they were like, is Dorian just turning into Chris? What's going on? Like that. It was definitely. <laughs> How awful is that? <laughs> it was a quick change. <laughs> How dare he be yeah, someone I like don't... Chris? <laughs> yeah, it was what it was, you know. And we, I mean, we, so we finished that whole period with like a really strong 10 K, which is what we trained for at a very fast pace of yeah. under eight minutes a mile. Yeah. Um, we did that well. And I remember afterwards we like drank and had a cigar. And yeah. Just, introduced like, man. Hours. I did so many yeah. like big brother, dad things, manual transmission, car, cooking, basic dishes, <laughs> getting up early and working out. Whatever you just said, I already forgot. What did you just say? Cigars. I introduced uh, you cigars, to cigars, yeah. which we so are definitely you're basically saying you're you're my daddy. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, since we're recording that, I will clip that out. I will send it to your fiance <laughs> because you can't give me do do gold this? like this. I'm going to torture her with this, as I have been doing for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. So so you. You're kind of chilling for a while, but then you start to then you start to focus on business again. And but you're doing more behind the scenes stuff, create almost like creating structure for other uh, creators to be successful. To this day, I still don't understand what you did back then. Tell me now. So talking about back then, or like, because it's there, there's so many little things I did all over throughout time like decked media my company started when the omg fax settlement happened which was 2011 mm -hmm. and ever since then it has grown and evolved in all sorts of different ways as any company would but ultimately what i started doing was off of omg fax i created other viral accounts on twitter and instagram facebook that were around different niches i had a twitter account called female pains that was like female related oh, god about that content which I do not, I ended up selling that as well. Uh, it, all sorts of different niches like that. So I was having fun, like I said earlier, creating brands and just different versions of things that were very clear of what they were. And I had this experience making things go viral on social media. And I also was very connected with YouTube and YouTubers and a lot of friends of mine. And I just naturally saw the connection of these YouTube friends I had and said, hey, you should post th that video you uploaded on YouTube onto Facebook because you're going to get way more views on Facebook. And back then there was still no monetization. So it was kind of hard to convince or I would set up some structured deals with some of my 
some of them were friends of mine and then some would be referrals, but it just kind of all naturally was people who were making content and helping them do more. And it eventually, yeah, it started off basically hard because there was not money to be made. So even though they were growing very fast on Facebook or something, they couldn't pay me long-term, but what was happening was taking one of those videos from YouTube to Facebook and like a video could have 300,000 views on YouTube from someone who did very well. And then it would have 30 million on Facebook because the na- the nature of the video was like they were doing voice impressions of cartoon characters. And it's just way more shareable on a place like Facebook that people want to share with their friends mm-hmm. where YouTube, you still get the views and it could still be popular, but yeah, it could just go like wildfire on Facebook. And I just have seen those connections. And so kind of going to today, my company helps creators go viral on other platforms and just distributes their content in other places. Now there's monetization streams in all sorts of different ways, like Facebook. Now you can monetize like on YouTube. And so it's just like helping creators. It's not easy to do all this as one. I have my own content. I can't do it as one. I have my team that's built into Decked Media as well. And yeah, it's it's really just doing that. Yeah. So uh, some people, a lot of people who listen to this podcast are in the creator sphere. You seem to have a really good grasp on like what goes viral where. Mm-hmm. What kind of guidance if someone is listening to this? Like, okay, let's break it down. Let's break it down platform by platform. Okay. What's going to, what, what is the unique indicator for Facebook that makes something go viral? So what I look at, I think we have we have like an actual deck of this in the company that has a few different aspects we look at, but ultimately something that's universal, which I think is becoming more common. But when I say universal, I mean, they don't need to know who you are as a person in order to be in, enjoy the content, basically. Mm-hmm. That when people were daily vlogging, doing all this stuff before, it was a lot harder to do that because a lot of that was more community building on YouTube. But if you're, like I said, creating a video where you're doing really awesome voice impressions of cartoons, people don't have to know who you are to enjoy that. And it is a a touch point to then get people to actually enjoy you on every platform more. But you're just thinking of all the platforms as like building audience from everywhere. Mm -hmm. But on Facebook, it really has to be universal. And on Facebook as well, you have to have a really, really strong first three seconds that may include subtitles, colorful subtitles in the beginning, along with what you're saying. It may include, maybe you have a YouTube video and you have like a one minute intro, completely cutting that out. There may be parts of a YouTube video you've made that could be very strong content and shouldn't be cut out, but for Facebook could be cut out because the way people are finding you is like, I didn't, I didn't ask to find this person. I, they just kind of popped up on my feed and I'm watching this. I can click off or swipe up at any moment while on YouTube, people are a little more conditioned to sit and watch an entire piece. So like, there's just all sorts of different aspects that would cut out, but it's, it's ultimately understanding the user behavior of each platform Mm -hmm. and how people are going to engage, how people want to share and just thinking of it in that way that on YouTube, you're clicking a title and thumbnail and on Facebook, they're scrolling and you got to make their thumb stop ultimately which and is why you, instead of a click-through rate i call it a thumb stop rate thumb stop rate that's cute mm-hmm. so and you've managed to congratulations on 12 million followers on tiktok <laughs> this has been the joke between me and him because you just just blew up out of nowhere on tiktok but you're smart and you understand what works and what doesn't you're bringing the facts back now you're still delivering facts mm-hmm. 
what do you what made you so successful so quickly because i know you've analyzed that yes so because how, how many followers do you actually have just so we're <laughs> i think i think i have 3.4 million or 3.5 million right now yeah. yeah so connecting to it i was doing all this with creators and i was like okay, I haven't really made my own videos in a couple of years actively. Like things have changed so much. I just want to try and be, do something fun again. That's like, maybe doesn't need to be a main thing, but just something I can do. And TikTok was the obvious platform because it was just raw growth and raw new freshness happening in social media. This is last year, 2021. And I naturally, when I thought, what do I like? What do I want to do? Mm. It was facts. Same thing when I was 16 years old, creating a fact Twitter account. It was like, I want to, share facts. And so I just started testing on my TikTok with using some of the knowledge that I've developed through like going viral in other ways, but ultimately just pretty much like, Hey, let me, I like this idea. I think I started with a this week in history and just talked about things that were happening this week in history. And I was like, that's interesting to me. I know it's interesting to other people. I'm going to make it in a way that's interesting or easily consumable and easily yeah, easily consumable for TikTok, ultimately. That autoplay, like people understand what's happening right away. Um, and then, yeah, I got like 5,000 followers in the first week. And I remember, you know, telling Alexa, my fiance, like, I think I'm going to have a million followers by Christmas. I see something that works here. And she just kind of looked at me like, not with like complete, like, you're crazy, but like, okay, sure. Mm-hmm. This was June. This is June. I started June 13th of 2021 on TikTok, And then 45 days later, I had a million followers. Crazy. So why, why does it do well? I think once I found the thing that worked, I kept doing it, but innovating it every time. And ultimately what worked was make a first off, making it very easy, whatever you make, making it very easy for someone to understand instantly Mm -hmm. so that they know they're not going to just scroll by. Cause they're like, eh, I kind of get this, but I don't really get it. I'm going to scroll by the other part of it is making people watch for the entire video mm. every time, all the time. And so if it's a list, people want to wait, people want to complete to the end of that list. That's definitely a big part of it. And I think making sure that list is very entertaining. I think if I was like, here's 10 facts about how to live a better life. And it was like, clean your room in the morning. Like, it's just too basic. It's not interesting. Too generic. That This advice that you've heard a million times. Yeah, I, I found myself when I was doing my own research on what I was interested in. First off, the topics, when I would think of a topic, it started off finding topics just through what other place, you know, a BuzzFeed has done. And I look at, oh, that's a cool list. And then I'll look at their facts and then I'll go research them because BuzzFeed said a lot of things that are not true. Um, <laughs> no shade, full shade. <laughs> I guess I shouldn't say BuzzFeed only and give them the blame, but it, the internet's just filled with misinformation. Mm-hmm. And so it's just when I'm researching and I find information that's like, whoa that's super cool. I like that. I know that there's going to be other people that have that reaction. So if I know if I just make that content in a way that's, there's no fluff, there's no reason to skip. Like you're watching the whole thing because every single piece of content is super interesting. That TikTok is going to naturally find that audience that's also interested in it because not everyone's interested in the videos I make. Like, I don't think I really have much of a Gen Gen Z audience, to be honest. Most of my audience is 21 plus on TikTok. Yeah, I feel like that's TikTok in general. I think it started as that and is not that anymore. Yeah. Oh, that's what you see in pretty much every platform I've seen is like, as the platform grows, the audience gets older and older and older. The early adopters seem to be people who are teenaged age when it comes to social media. Right. 
Yeah. And just to finish that part off, um, I just want to be clear, like it definitely when when it happened where it's like, oh, you get a million followers in 45 days, you, you listening to this could hear and know from my story that did not happen overnight. Like, yeah, it's your 10 year overnight success. That's my favorite. Exactly. One of my favorite lines. I think every single person that has blown up on social media in a meaningful way that wasn't like a one off corn kid or anything like that, like it's not overnight. Like if, if it's something that's sustainable and continuous, like there, there was a lot of failure before that. For mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. You're still a failure. I want you to know that. <laughs> mm. Thank you. Always will. Be. <laughs> and speaking <laughs> of things that are sustainable and continuous, your engagement is a very recent thing. Yeah. Yep. But how long have you and your fiance been together? I don't know. Can we say her name? Or, yeah, Alexa. Okay. Alexa. I muted my Amazon Echo over here so we could say her name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Alexa loved when I would walk by her and be like, oh, I have one, too. <laughs> Alexa. <laughs> Set a timer for 15 minutes. Oh, she would. She loved me. But oh, yeah, she it, loves it. So how long have you guys been together? We've been together since 2015. So seven plus years august 2015 and yeah. you got engaged when it was march 12th 2022 yeah so six months ago yeah seven months ago that's a long time to, to be together yeah talk about the development of your relationship like how because a lot of changes happened during that time definitely for both of you individually mm -hmm. how as a couple did you even though you were growing in different ways did you guys maintain your relationship and grew together yeah i think you know looking back to our relationship i was in california and she was in florida so we'd known each other a couple years even before this and we just were like well we're living different lives and then our lives were maybe going to come together and she was looking to go to school in california and she was going to live with her brother who also was in California and we were like, Oh, maybe we can be together. And then uh, it came out that basically he wasn't, he, she wasn't going to be able to live with her brother and it wasn't going to be able to work. And so we were like together in person when we found this out and we were just like, you know what, we're just going to be together anyways. We'll figure it out. Mm. And uh, five months later, she moved to LA and moved in with me. So we're five months into our relationship and she moves in. Does it not, does that not feel fast to you or no? Uh, yeah, it definitely felt fast, but it didn't feel uncomfortable. Mm. Like it, it was just, it just felt right. And like when she, like I helped her drive cross country and like, there was no feeling of like, oh gosh, this is some mistake that like I'm moving this girl out here. And like, she's gonna have to move back. Cause we're going to break up. Like I never felt any of that, like even as a possibility. And so we lived together for basically ever since then and have had this very deep relationship where you could consider us most people who are in our lives, especially her family who are here in Florida, all feel like we've been married for years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. And I can see that. You know, they, uh, yeah. So it, it, it's, it's been awesome. She's the best. And it took, I wanted to get engaged much sooner, but I did go through a lot of stuff. Obviously COVID happened and that's delaying in life. And there was a lot that happened that delayed me a bit from doing it, but emotionally I was ready. And the coolest thing is no matter what we've been through, Alexa and I, like she's just 100% there, like supportive, like no matter what, it's just, we're in this together. Mm -hmm. She's never, she never gave me like, you know, 
TikTok, TikTok, what's going on? Like, you know, she just trusted me that our life path was going to be the best for us in whatever way it was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, we're engaged. Super happy with that. We're getting married in six and a half months now. It's coming That's up very cr- fast. It seems so fast. It seems so, not, not the dating part. That was forever. Right. <laughs> I, I just mean, wanted did, to drag it out for you, Chris, and make you suffer. I'll get you still. Don't worry. So <laughs> I'm sure because you guys were together for so long, but not engaged, you know, a lot of people are like, you know, when you know, you know, and like after two years, if you don't know, then you should probably break up. How did you, did you guys experience outside pressures to progress your relationship to the point of engagement and marriage and what would you say to those people? Because it's a lot of people implementing the way they feel your relationship should go. Mm-hmm. But you guys weren't there yet, obviously. So yeah. what would you say to those people when they would try to pressure you to progress the relationship faster? So I think with her moving in five months in, I was maybe not at that point. I, I can't remember exactly the timeline, but I was definitely like, yeah, marrying this girl sounds awesome. Like I'm, this is definitely a possibility. But we were 22 and I remember just from an individual standpoint, I felt like I as a 22 year old was too young to get married to anyone, no matter how sure I was. And I had parents, my parents, as much as it wasn't always stable, they had a loving relationship and they got married. I mean, they were definitely not on their first marriage, but 44 and 36 years old, like they were so much older. So I was so used to people being older, the culture of being in LA is naturally older, but like where, you know, Alexis from here, it's like everyone gets married much younger. And that's a majority, I think of the country, if not the world. Where I'm from so, too, like I'm from the Midwest, you're talking about the South, it's it's pretty common. Yeah, and I just felt like I was in no rush. So <clears throat> in LA, there was no pressure where like people were just kind of normally living their lives. But I think over in the Florida side, there was definitely an expectation of like, you know, her best friend getting married and doing like a different path. And, you know, I think her mom asked me, I mean, she asked me so many times over the years, uh, but she asked me, I think, you know, probably three years into our relationship, like, Hey, when are you proposing? And I was like, probably a year or two from now. And I remember her kind of being like, okay, okay. And so like, (laughs) there were even times like she would, she would drink and just like in front of everyone in the group be like, so when are y'all getting married or say something sassy to me? They're not married. And at that point, it just, it kind of became a joke. And I almost see it in the same way I see like hate comments on the internet where like, it's not a hate comment that's coming at me, but it's like a, you know, that's a sensitive part of my life. And she's like ha- trying to put an expectation on me where I felt I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And that's just how I'm going to be. And I was definitely a people pleaser when I was younger and maybe to some extent still to today, but in that vein where something important to me, I'm doing what I'm doing. Like, and that's all it's going to be. If you're not happy with that, that's fine. But fortunately I've had a very supportive future in-law family and no matter what i've been through in the same way i just said alexa's there for me like they are there for me too they've been super awesome and you know again basically no matter what they're going to be there so i think i got fortunate in that but if there's other people out there who are struggling with that just live your life like this is one life we live like that's it like and live it for yourself not for the expectations of other people 100 percent And what I will say about you is I've never really looked at you as a people pleaser. You always had really strong boundaries in the time that I've been in your life. So if that was who you were, I haven't seen it in our entire friendship. And did 10 years at this point. 
2010 or 11. So it's, I mean, 12, uh, 12 something like that. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay. I wanna... Well, that's good to know. Thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. You definitely said no to me plenty of times, um, but you did allow <laughs> me to live with you three times. So that's good. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask you a tough question. Go for it. Maybe not a tough question, but a deep question. Why is Alexa your wife? Ooh. What are her attributes that make her your wife? That is a great question. And I feel like it's it's definitely loaded because it's not just one answer. I think I think very quickly in our relationship and maybe even before we were even dating, I just felt like she was my person and my partner in a less deep way, but a part of the scenario, I remember that I'm an introvert and I have to be alone to recharge, like definitely. But being around her, she's the only person, my family, like not this way. I cannot do this with even my own family, but with her, we, cause she's also an introvert, we recharge together which is, it was very, there was a conscious realization of like, this is very strange in the best way possible that we're kind of, we're kind of like a unit together. Like it was very, that was like a side thing that was very exciting for me when we were early in our relationship of just like, wow, this just, it just feels right in that way. And I think when I think about like when I was young and thinking about, oh, you know, the future wife I'm going to have, all the attributes are there the the caringness the nurturing of future children we have two dogs that she's extremely nurturing of obsessed with she cares about me completely she's fully supportive of me i I think i don't know like that i hear people talk about that question and there's like oh well she's this or she's this or oh she's hot or you know like all the different attributes all putting it together but I, i i think it's just it, it's just her as a person. It's just obvious. I don't know how to really explain it further than that. It's just like, yes. You accept all aspects of her, even the parts yeah. that might not be as pretty, not as shiny. Yeah. That's why I don't yeah. believe in the in the idea of love at first sight. Because mm. I think, and tell me if you agree with this, I think to truly love somebody, you have to accept the ugly parts of them too. And that no one shows that when they first start talking to you. You can't tell from a glance either those parts of somebody. You're experiencing lust, desire, but to truly love somebody, you have to know them. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And yeah, I yeah, I don't even really know where to go with that, but I that's a great question. Yeah, I like to I like to to stump people, not stump people, but I think I, so. You watch me get into trouble every once in a while for my takes on things. That yeah. uh, that <laughs> that's just a natural thing. It's I don't. It's become more of a thing recently, though. Over the last since the since the panorama, especially, I've noticed mm-hmm. that people are just really ready to fight <laughs> at all points in time. Or stress. I but, think yeah, I think we experienced a, a global trauma, and I think that's affecting people to this day. But I think it's important to still lead those conversations, but through demonstration instead of guidance. I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to show you. And mm-hmm. I feel like you you're displaying that when it comes to like healthy connections, because you hear about red flags and you hear about if they don't do this, this, and this, then they're out and stuff like that. And that's just not. Do you think you would have got sucked into that if you hadn't been been in this relationship with Alexa for so long? Or would you have pretty much done your own thing? 
So exactly what getting sucked into when you say red flags? Like the whole idea of looking at somebody as a checklist and what they can provide and what I like to call buzzer dating. Have you seen that show on the cut where they have a buzzer in the middle and someone's sitting down? So there's a buzzer in the middle and they're sitting down and they're talking to each other. And the second that that buzzer illuminates, if either person or both people want to end the date, whoever buzzes first uh, gets to eliminate the other person. Mm. And that's what I feel like a lot of dating has been recently, where it's like, Sometimes they would buzz someone just because they themselves didn't want to get buzzed. It's like, I'm looking at you. I'm not taking time to like really know you. I'm just basing off of these like, it's like they have one foot out the door if you can't give them that exact feeling they're looking for in that moment. Does that make sense? Yeah, I do think so. It's yeah. hard. It's, 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 it's hard to describe. It's just it's what I'm experiencing in the dating world. It's like people don't want to grow with you or see you they have expectations of you before you've even had a chance to get to know each other and if you don't meet those preconceived expectations then the relate then they're not even going to invest their time it's like i don't want to waste my time i have other options did you ever get sucked into like the option thing i mean you've been in a relationship for so long do you think you would have been affected by that i want i want to say no (laughs) who knows but Cause I just, I feel like, cause I, you know, had different kinds of, I really had, I had Alexa and like one other girlfriend and like, that's all I had, but I had a lot of different connections with people that I, you know, were kind of relationships, but some of them never ended up being relationships. They were or suspect. I will. Yeah. They were suspect. I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to put that out there right now. I was like, brother, we got to guide you in a different direction. Full offense to those people. I, I really focused on that. I think, I don't know, I now, if I was dating now, I don't know, maybe I would pay more attention to it because maybe back then I was more just like, who am I connecting with? Like that was always really that mattered to me. So like, cause when I look at Alexa, there are certain attributes. She is perfect to me, but if I were to like checklist certain things, it's like, she doesn't match all those, but that's not why I love her. Yeah, I think I think the checklist thing is so dangerous. Yeah, I think, I think it's a good like guidance, but I don't think you should live off of it. I think if there are certain exciting attributes about someone, you should get to know them more, give them more of a chance and to connect. And because in every relationship, there's always going to be sacrifice of some sort. So yeah. you're probably if you're you're probably never going to find that perfect person like if I think about, okay, let me think of a checklist of like the perfect woman. Like I would have never met Alexa or like given Alexa a chance. And she's you hear that Alexa, better you're than not, that. You're not, no, we're cutting that part out. <laughs> hear that Alexa? I'm perfect. That's what he said. And you're not, and he's mine. And for those of you who don't know, we have had an ongoing joke that I'm slowly trying to become a Dorian's husband. And Alexa and I have been fighting um, for many, many years now over that fact. I'm glad we cleared that up an hour into this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm good. Look, I'm good at my job. Okay. I 100% know what I'm doing. Okay. Okay. So moving forward now you're still, you're still helping other creators monetize their content, right? Or is it mostly with the Facebook platform? So yeah, Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok are the focuses right now. But my vision since very early on, like 2015, 14, 13 was to be 
every single platform, whatever opportunity comes up to be of service to creators. Mm-hmm. And it's been a crazy journey. Facebook took a very long time to monetize and a lot of ups and downs. But yeah, ultimately, that's the the value I see I can help provide people the most is people who already are doing great things. Like I know how to expand it further for them. And it fulfills me for sure. There's a lot of creators I work with that are just really creative or like they're promoting things that are very just positive. Like that's another thing I don't want to like work with people who are putting out very negative content. Like I just don't think that's a good way to impact. Like when you get to a certain level and you're, you're making things seen by millions of people, you're impacting people's lives. Even if it's a minor, minor way, there's a butterfly effect that exists in this universe that could not be good. So Mm -hmm. anyways, yeah. So one, one final question. We're going to, we're going to get into the Q and a, um, are you down to stay for that? For sure. So, uh, if you guys are ever interested in asking direct questions to the guests that I have on, make sure you go to patreon.com slash unfiltered friends. This is an independent podcast. It's how you help support it. And so those, the Q and a session will, will exist over on Patreon. But, uh, I think, I think my final question for you, and it's related to something that you said earlier, I'm actually a recovering people pleaser, a very recent recovering people pleaser. I didn't even recognize that that's what I was doing. I thought I was just being wonderful to people, but then you kind of, you find yourself personally kind of like lacking. Mm -hmm. What did you do to transition from a people pleaser to the person you are today? Great question. I think experience was a big part of it where you just have to have more moments of practice of doing it, of feeling like small stepping stones of feeling uncomfortable with saying no, but each stepping stone you, it's like anything you build confidence with, right? It's just, you're getting used to it. So then you could say no to bigger things if you've said no to this and yeah, I mean, there's no way overnight to become a not people pleaser, like someone who is exactly who you are in your mind. I think that goes with any ideas we have in goals, like everything I've gotten to <clears throat> the TikTok followers are a great example. If I was 13 years old trying to get 3 million followers on TikTok, I couldn't do that. Like mm. I was not there yet. I hadn't taken the necessary steps to find that path. And so I think with people pleasing it, probably is going to be the same thing. And I say probably, but I, I am also a recovering people pleaser growing up. And I had these experiences in all sorts of ways. Like with my own family, I was people pleasing them to no extent. And I had to learn through steps and boundaries and years of practice. No, mm-hmm. like you can still, the thing that really I had to learn early was you can still be a good person and not be a people pleaser. Like you, you can still be a good person and say no. Like mm-hmm. you, you need to have your own self taken care of before you can help other people mm-hmm. ultimately. So if you're people pleasing, you're really not helping anybody if you're not taken care of. Yeah. You got to lay that foundation so that you can be solid yourself so that you can be more effective in helping other people if you choose to. Yep. Man, I gave that advice to people so many times and I never took it. I think that's really common. I think it's really common for people to give advice that they don't take themselves. And sometimes when you give that advice all the time, it is kind of a projection. Conversation. 
Yeah, it's a protection form. I remember when I was 16, 17 years old, my whole life was about giving life advice when I was going through some of the roughest times in my life. That's just how it is. You're projecting your inner self of what you want onto other people. Sometimes I look back, I like, it's scary that I have 16 years of my mentality on the internet and it's like so, so cringe, but also shows growth. It's your journey. It's, it's my journey. It's going to make people connect to you more. And I think it's a beautiful thing. Okay, fine. I guess I'll leave <laughs> the stuff up there. <laughs> so people are inspired by you, want to reach out to you. What's the best way for them to do that? It would be at Adorian Deck on anything and everything. I think, you know, Instagram, I'm active on in stories, Twitter, all sorts of things. Yeah, all the platforms. TikTok, obviously, I'm there. Facebook. And I'm going to post his phone number. Perfect. But I can't post it on Instagram right now because my account is suspended. I don't know what happened. What? Your Instagram my, my Instagram account's been suspended since Friday morning, right. and it's Sunday. And I, but luckily, because I've been in the industry so long, I have people that work at Meta, and so they're looking into it. But I guess I just gotta wait it out. Sometimes algorithmically things just happen like that. The only thing I could think of that I posted that would have got me banned is I did little tippy taps with my feet because I was in the bathtub. Maybe you can't post toes. I don't know. But I feel like Instagram loves toes because anytime I post my feet, I get really weird DMs. So I know that that audience is there for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes things are out of your control. And because, yeah, that stuff's going to happen in social media and just, you're going to be fine. Your Instagram account's going to be back in a week or less or more. I don't know. Touch but your mic. Touch your microphone again. Are we good? Yeah. Um, yeah. B- before we go. Um, who? I'm really proud of you, man. Um, I, I love you a lot. Um, I love you too, man. I don't have a lot of close relationships, and you have been a really consistent um, part of that life for me. You, when I was down, you're always there. And I think about it a lot. I'm glad that we were able to grow together. I think it's so important, especially, especially like men supporting each other through things that pretty much only men can really understand, you know, there's unique experiences. And I'm just like, I'm just so immensely proud to call you my friend. And I'm so grateful to have had someone like you in my life. I really am. Yeah. I wouldn't be who I am without you. And I think it's the same for you. All right. Enough feelings. No more feelings. (laughs) All right. Let's go do the Q and a, but thank you so much for being on unfiltered friends. Thank you for having me.